So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. My name is Perry Siddons, and this is the Ponder Chat. Dan Esau, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. How are you, sir? I am actually on a little week's R&R right now. So you made me uh, get up and get dressed this morning. <laughs> so <laughs> so Forcing you I'm, I'm in recovery. Your brain. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this can be uh, restful and relaxing, too. <laughs> can you just tell us a little bit about yourself as we get into this conversation? Sure. I'm Dan. I've been with the Christian and Missionary Alliance for just over 30 years now. Started back in 1990 as a youth pastor up in Nippon and then served in a couple of different churches across uh, the Midwest District. And right now we are in Leader, Saskatchewan, which is a little farming community of about a thousand people. And we're a rural church of ranchers, cowboys, plumbers, <laughs> all kinds of folks. And uh, uh, been a RCMP chaplain for just over 10 years, so I've served with them for that, and then I went with the Royal Canadian Legion, with a plug, uh, for, boy, a better part of 20 years now. So uh, I've been pastoring for, yeah, a better part of three decades now. Got a couple of kids and a dog and a cat, and I ride motorcycles. That's kind of the, oh, yeah. that's about the extent of it. So if you had a dream place to live, where would it be? Well, you know, not surprisingly where I live right now. I live on acreage outside of town, and it's quiet, and the birds are the noisiest thing on the yard. I'll be honest, I wake up most days and say, I get to live here, hmm. which is remarkable. And not everyone can say that. Mm -hmm. So I am very privileged to live where I live. And I work with people who are very, uh, very gracious and generous and kind. They're good people. Hmm. And uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Hmm. Not that other churches haven't been that way. <laughs> have to get that in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in case somebody from my past is watching. What's that, Dan? You still have to see. <laughs> exactly, about our church. We loved him. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you've had lots of pastoral experience. And uh, we met, oh, in... 2019, I think it was fall 2019 for the, uh, it was pre COVID. I think that's yes. how we're going to, I think that's how the calendar is going to change now. Instead of AD, it'll be pre COVID. PC. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it was a pastoral leadership course. And I, you know, you, yeah. you ministry you brought, foundations, ministry foundations, right. You brought a lot of uh, pastoral experience to the table. And I think you, talked a little bit about the topic for today and i thought that it, you would be 
you know, I, I wanted to have you on the program and I thought, what could I talk about? And I thought for some reason, suffering just kept coming to my mind because I mean, you've experienced a lot of suffering yourself, I, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, with others helping uh, pastor people through that. And, uh, and so hopefully we can have a chat about, uh, you know, pastoral theology and, uh, and how that plays out in, uh, in suffering and how this can, maybe this could be an encouragement to our listeners and hopefully help uh, us, you know, how can we be good at uh, walking people through this, this kind of thing and, and do it well, because uh, it's not an easy thing. And I think we can, we can always get more advice on how to do this. So, uh, you know, I thought we're, we're in Lent. Uh, hopefully when our listeners do listen to this, it, it, it's still Lent for them, maybe not. Uh, but I mean, this is a time of, uh, of self-reflection. There is a bit of suffering involved in Lent uh, and, 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 and leading up to it. I wanted this to kind of orient our minds toward Good Friday. Uh, because, I mean, our religion, Christianity, is centered around a suffering servant. Uh, somebody who suffered horribly. And I think that has something to say to the world. I mean, hopefully we can get into that later. Um, you know, that really affects our gospel presentation, I think, or, or can be an element of a gospel presentation. Um, but let's, uh, let's start talking about uh, what, what, maybe as we get into this conversation, how, what, what are the parameters around suffering because you know somebody could say oh (laughs) i'm i feel horrible today and you know i had a terrible sleep i'm suffering i mean i'm being extreme here but i mean uh how you you know you could say you're not suffering like what what are what are our parameters uh for not not to say not to point in people's face and say you're not suffering but maybe as we get into this to say how do we recognize suffering I am absolutely convinced that how we cope with pain is going to have one of the most dominant effects on how we live our lives. And I I use the term successfully very loosely because we have to be careful how we define success, but how we cope with pain, because pain is inevitable. It it is not optional. From the the moment you took your first breath, uh, pain entered your world, and it is unlikely a day will pass that you will not experience pain. Uh, at some, I mean, it could be something as so minor as, you know, a, a slight injury to something so major as an unexpected, you know, a cancer notification. Um, just to take a back step, yeah, as far as my own experience with pain and suffering, um, yes, both personally, uh, I've come near to death four times, uh, once at my own hand. Uh, so that was certainly a part of it. Um, I, I just came through two eye surgeries, so saved my eye from blindness. And uh, I want to thank all the blind pigs that they practiced on for that. Uh, so, you know, as far as and, and been hospitalized on multiple occasions for injuries and accidents and stupid things I did, but also more from a pastoral perspective. Uh, in preparation from this, I went back through and asked myself, uh, you know, what were my encounters or have been my encounters with suffering? Certainly, one of the things we talked about in our class was the whole role of death. I did my hundredth funeral a, seven years ago. That was the hundredth. And since then, it has been um, 
many, many, many. I, I, I would venture I'm well past 150 uh, encounters, personal encounters with death, uh, including entire families. In one incident, uh, three children and both parents died in a single vehicle accident, or sorry, in a, in a head-on collision, and did the service and met with the family for them, plus the, uh, the members that were involved did counseling and care with them. So uh, multiple, multiple occasions uh, of dealing. And then to be in pastoral ministry, to be in people's lives is always to encounter suffering. Uh, whether it's a disease, whether it's uh, financial suffering, hardship, children. I, I don't think there is a week that goes by that I don't encounter someone in pain or someone who suffered. And, and now due to our, you know, the broad spectrum of internet, we're connecting with people across Canada. You know, and now I get emails or messages from people because suffering is such a common, the reality we all go through in pain. So I think if you are going to go into pastoral ministry at any level, you have to be very aware of your own encounter with pain and your own responses to it. And also that you will encounter pain on a regular basis. If you are not prepared to deal with the sufferings of others, go sell ice cream, you know, then everybody's happy to see you when they get there because you will encounter this on a regular basis and it will wear on your soul over time, especially uh, the death of children is particularly hard on us, uh, or tragedy when, like I say, in, in car accidents or the unexpected. Um, my my mom and my brother both died this year within you know a few months of each other. We haven't been able to bury either of them, right? So you have your own suffering you're processing, plus the added burden of the sufferings of others. So I think even as we begin our conversation, as we talk about relating you know, to pastoral care. Um, also, you alluded very wisely, we're in Lent, we're getting ready for Holy Week, when the focus of our faith is the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, right? And the sufferings of Christ on the cross. So our, our theological intention and our theological focus is centered on, although live in godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer persecution, right? Um, so we, as those who follow Jesus, must be willing to follow him to the cross and follow people into the world of suffering plus coping with their own. So it's timely that you pick the subject, but I think it is a subject, you know, going through my uh, college training and experience, this was never an issue. We, we talked about the mechanics of a funeral, but never the emotion and the loss and the grief and the sitting there in that room. Um, I, I did a funeral for, for a lady on I think it was the Thursday or the Friday I can't recall and within 12 hours her husband died he had a heart attack massive stress right so we did the funeral within two or three days we buried both of them you know to encounter that especially when you're young like yourself Perry you know I, to encounter that level of suffering is shocking and it can be devastating to us so I think one of the things we need to talk about is how we do self-care uh, for when we encounter the grief you know the banshee moment right where we are wailing uh, and that first funeral when your legs are behind the pulpit and they're just quivering, you know, because <laughs> what do I say here? I remember being in my 20s and doing my first funeral or early 30s. Uh, yeah, absolutely unprepared for grief. So, All right. So that's a little bit of a caveat. Suffering. I've been asking people since we had this, since you sent me the, the email, uh, asked my adult Sunday school class. It's now my topic of conversation when I go for coffee. So how do you define suffering uh, with people? I think we need to begin with the differentiation between pain and suffering. Uh, pain is a common occurrence. And uh, when, uh, what's his name, wrote, where is God when it hurts? I can't remember the author's name now. Yancey. 
that pain is a beneficial thing. So, you know, we, we hit our hand on the stove. Pain is always a teaching moment and not always, but often, right? So don't do that anymore. You know, it's, we learn what not to do and pain we can endure. You know, the, the old US Marine Corps logo, it's only pain, right? So I think there's a benefit to pain. Um, and that is the positive side of life. So I don't think we're talk talking about pain, but when I ask people very often, I say, what is suffering? The first thing they'll say is pain. That pain is the initial gateway or the doorway into suffering, but when does suffering occur? And so as I ask people, the common elements that came through were the length of it, you know, so you may hurt yourself and be sore for a couple of days. You know, you, you exercise too hard, you'll be okay in a couple of days. Where suffering has a component of a long-term endurance. The, the, the cancer patient who's undergoing treatment for years, uh, the loss of a loved one with grief that continues on year after year after year. So one of the elements of suffering is time. Um, the other element of suffering is that pain can often benefit us. You know, we, we exercise, we grow where suffering is, a, is taking away. I, I want to be careful there. Pain doesn't always give us something, but it often can. Uh, where suffering is always. So we get the sense of time of removal, of taking away from it, uh, becomes another part of element of suffering. And the third element that was always in the conversation was suffering is when we lose hope. That a person begins to truly suffer when they don't see a way out of it, I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. When someone's given a, a, a not a terminal, but a, a long-term medical diagnosis, and they're thinking, I've got another 30 years of this condition, that I have nothing to look, they will start suffering emotionally through it. See, or they see only death as a doorway out. So I think the third element of suffering is the sense of time. So we get, it, it robs us. It, it doesn't benefit us. It's got a long-term, these are all become elements. And then you throw in the emotional and spiritual element of suffering. So that's for my little, you know, two week survey with people. So what I've done is I looked through and said, okay, let's take a look at what the Old Testament says about suffering. We did a little work, you know, let's do a little word study. And I'm not going to throw a bunch of Hebrew terms around, but there's about four or five Hebrew words that are used for suffering. But if you pull back the root, they're all the, the basic root of all those all those pieces of vocabulary is downcast. Suffering always is when someone is weighed down uh, beyond their capacity to rise up again. And so in pain, you know, if you're working out, you can you know power your way through. You can rise above the pain, but suffering is the inability to rise above the pain. Uh, so it's the words like bow down, you know, afflicted, humbled, weak. And even an element of poverty is, is one of the English translations of the Hebrew word for, that we would use for suffering. So all these ideas take us down. And I think people who are suffering, we think of the metaphor of the head hanging down. You know, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Uh, this is David's language of suffering, that we are down. And so the Old Testament imagery of suffering is the downcast soul. And, and I like that. You, when we are, which means we can't rise above the event. And again, I keep alluding to it, but it carries them the moment that pain we can rise above, suffering we can't. So that's the Old Testament language. We, we get David, we get Lamentations, we get Job. We get all these individuals continually speaking about the downcast or the, uh, the afflicted, the brought low nature of their soul. So then we're talking about suffering. We're talking about people who are down, whatever 
Lang and it, it affects us emotionally, physically, psychologically, spiritually. We are brought down. When we move into the New Testament, the language changes a bit and we start getting into pathos. Uh, this idea where we get the word pathetic or apathetic, this and it simply is the word strong emotion. So when we talk about your sufferings, uh, when first Peter talks about sufferings, he's really talking about the strong negative emotions that we experience. You know, so in Romans 8, when Paul says, consider it all joy, your sufferings, he's talking about that strong emotion of pain that we experience. So I think the Old Testament takes us to the downcast spirit. The New Testament language takes us to the pain, the emotional turmoil of being in a, in a pathetic state. My soul is, is feeling the deep, deep emotion, whether that's loss or physical pain or whatever the nature of the pain is. So that's kind of the image. That's the, the second of it. And uh, thirdly, as, as I was thinking about this and, and doing some studying, we move into more, more of a modern psychological effect. And I really like, I have to look it up because I don't want to misquote the person. Um, one author said, pain is what happens to us. Suffering is what we do with that pain. So we all have pain, right? If I think my pain is a benefit, so I, I go in for surgery, and the doctor says, this is really going to hurt, and you will be in pain for X number of weeks after. I go, okay, this, what I do with that is I'm positive. I say, I can get through this. This is good pain. It's my body healing and growing. Um, it took me a year to get my peripheral vision back, right? Uh, and so the pain of recovery was over a year, but I was optimistic. So what we do with it, is pain's not the bad thing. Suffering is what we do with that pain. If we say, woe is me, I'm never going to get any better. Look how, you know, you should pity me. We take that pain and we turn it inward. And that's when I think we start suffering. Um, I really like what one author said, suffering is the story of our pain. It's the story we tell ourselves about our pain. So if I tell the story that my pain is beneficial, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the gym on the bike. It hurts, right? I say, that pain is great. I tell myself that story. But if I tell myself the story of the death of my mother, uh, I had a, <laughs> my mom and my best friend, one of my best friends died within 12 hours of each other, just complete shock. And then my brother uh, died of a very rare form of cancer. He was from the day he entered the hospital to the day he died was five days. Just shocking. And if I tell myself you know, I'm supposed, woe is me. And I take that story and I turn it inward. Then I begin to suffer. But, it, but if I take it outward and I begin to look at the story of his life, what can I learn from my brother? I can celebrate the good things, the, the joy of my mom, all that. Then I, I grieve their loss, but I'm not suffering. It's just a, a different, uh, what author said, suffering is how we react to pain. Suffering is the interpretation or the story that you tell yourself about your pain. It is the questions we ask about our pain and the conclusions we come to. So I think what we have is, is three elements. Uh, we have an Old Testament message that it is being down. We're weary, we're hurt. The weight of grief or loss is unimaginable. And I suspect you've been in a situation where someone's, you know, they've died and you're in that home and the weight of grief is so palpable. I've often said it's like a, a wet, heavy wool blanket and people physically cannot move. Mm -hmm. They are, the pain is so great. They cannot leave you know, get out of bed in the morning, right? They're down physically. Um, their, their immune system takes a massive hit. Um, and so we get this old Testament image of the down. 
the New Testament language of a deep emotional encounter with grief and sorrow and, and pain. And then we get the modern secular uh, perspective that our suffering is a response to our pain. The question is, how do we then respond positively? Is there a way that when we are down, we can respond? When we are in intense pain and we feel the, the, the great loss or a financial burden, so many people have been through that, how can we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and do what, what the, the modern psychological approach is, is that is, you know, I can handle my pain and I don't have to suffer. There's my challenge or my own personal experience because we're not always good at that. So I guess it answered your question. Well, that's a long answer to a brief question. <laughs> Suffering is when you are beyond your capacity to function, that you can't move. You're so down, you no longer have the endurance to move. We start to suffer when we no longer have the strength to go forward, to be optimistic, to look for a hopeful outcome, to look for the benefit or the good. Suffering is poverty of soul that people experience. They don't have the resources to move forward past it or even into it for that matter. They're just encountering it. It's very raw in those moments. Well, there's a lot of uh, good stuff in there, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I like how you 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 kind of build a, a biblical theology there of, of suffering, uh, and I and I like that. So, uh, and how you define suffering um, as our response to pain. So, my question is then: there, Well, I have a few questions, but I'll ask this one first. Um, because my my assumption, I suppose, as I was coming into this conversation, and I was and I was thinking about questions for this conversation, was that suffering is something that we do not control; that it comes upon us, mm -hmm. uh, such as you know, death, uh, sickness, whatever it may be. You know, we lose we lose everything, uh, whatever it may be. And, and, and because of that suffering comes up, like th those things are what cause the suffering and it comes upon us and we cannot control mm -hmm. it. So, and, and that's kind of been my uh, assumption. So what you're saying then is that suffering is our response so we can control our suffering. If you believe that we can control our response, mm -hmm. there's, there's a fundamental line that we need to cross here. You're right. When you said the phrase come upon, that fits very well with the Old Testament language of burden. Of it comes upon us and the weight is so great that we are not in control. And I think when people feel out of control, that's when they begin to suffer. This is beyond my capacity, uh, beyond my hope, beyond my resilience to function. You're right. And then suffering is that which is external coming upon us. The question is, are we able to then make a choice about how we respond. And I would agree with you. I think there are circumstances that are so great. They so over, you know, the old line about you can be overwhelmed. Can you be underwhelmed? Can you just simply be whelmed? And you can, the language, if you actually do a little bit of a word study, the word whelmed is a word. It means sufficient, right? Um, but I think there comes a point when pain overwhelms us beyond our capacity uh, to function. And I've worked with people who grieve for decades who have never moved out of grief. Um, and for them, with the resources they possess, 
it is incapable for them to move beyond suffering. And as we draw this conversation near to the, the latter question you asked about how we function with this, I think we can find a way out of suffering, but it doesn't include us. And I think I'm showing my hand here. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's really helpful. It's in a sense, we can control it, but it, it's, but it just is so overwhelming that we can't. And that's where we become the passive players in, in, in what is going on. Uh, that's wow. That's really interesting, actually. That's a, that's so, that passive players is a very good expression mm. because suffering can be so great. Mm. It debilitates us. Yeah. And then we become passive. Um, I, I guess I just want to keep building a little bit on kind of giving ourselves a theological foundation here you before bet. we get into the pastoral response, uh, which I do want to get to. Because um, you, you, you'd mentioned earlier, and I think this is an important distinction to make in this conversation. You, you mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, when Jesus says, all who follow me will face persecution. I think it could easily be said by some people uh, that their suffering is persecution. Uh, so what I'm what I'm trying to say is what what is the uh, relationship there between suffering and persecution? Then is is suffering inherent to Christianity? Because I've 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 always I've kind of thought I don't think you know I've, I've just had a hard time seeing in the in the New Testament I suppose. It doesn't seem like it's a part of being a Christian. Suffering is because of being a human being, you know, is oh, suffering, is suffering because everybody experiences suffering. So why, right. would, we, why would we say uh, from that verse where Jesus says you will face persecution, that that means right. that all Christians will face suffering? Well, of course, that's, that's just common sense that will face suffering. So obviously he's talking about suffering I, I guess i don't want to put words in your mouth here but you no, know that's good there, there's something else going on here like suffering for the cross not just suffering as a human being with right. common human you know because it uh i don't want to make light of your of your of the death in your family but it wasn't because of the gospel <laughs> that uh that those things <laughs> took place. no not at all <laughs> yeah and you're drawing a good distinction. I think we have to ask ourselves, is there a um, anthropological, human, broad theology of suffering that is part of the human condition because of the fall? You will now, you know, thorns and thistles, you will suffer in childbirth. The language of suffering is right in there. And I think categorically, yes. Because of sin and the fall and the consequences of, of all those things, suffering is a universal experience. But is there a distinct theology of causal suffering is what you're asking, the cause of suffering, distinct to Christianity? Um, yes, there's a specific kind of suffering that is distinct at the same time you boy, I, I gotta say, one of the great sufferings of Christian is rejection. We are we are outcasts, but the feeling of being an outcast is a universal feeling as well. Uh, there are a large number of community groups that feel ostracized from society, that don't feel accepted by society, um, and they experience the suffering of not belonging. The, 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 
we, we as human beings seek three fundamental experiences. We, uh, we seek acceptance, we seek significance, and we seek security. So we all wanna be accepted. Uh, we all wanna feel significant that we have value and we all wanna feel safe. So acceptance, significance, and security are the three core human experiences. And we as Christians don't, are free from those experiences uh, and we share that with people. So, so I'm, when I'm talking with someone who doesn't feel like they belong, I can relate. So I, I don't think there's a, a distinct theological reason. There are reasons why we will suffer. Um, and we'll look at a few verses about that. But I think suffering is so broad, so universal. I think where Christianity gives a distinct message is um, how we suffer. And I think one of the things as evangelicals we have truly failed in is we have a terrible theology of suffering. Um, we have a great theology of success, of victory, of triumph, of healing, of all these. But I think there's so much we can learn from other traditions who have a depth of knowledge to teach us what the theological nature and encounter and meaning. And again, we have to be careful about the purpose of meaning, uh, purpose of suffering versus the meaning of suffering. And I think that's what you're alluding to, perhaps. Now I'm putting words in your mouth. Is there a distinct Christian theology of the meaning of suffering versus a secular understanding of the meaning of suffering? And I would argue there is. When we encounter and express or explore the meaning of suffering, we stand alone. We stand in a distinct category. So in a roundabout way, and sometimes that's how the train gets there, um, there is a distinct Christian theology of suffering when it comes to the meaning of suffering. There is not a distinct Christian theology of the experience of suffering. And I would argue that the meaning of suffering, as you understand its meaning, will alter your experience of suffering. Mm. Because the suffering means nothing. It just means I'm human then my suffering is of no value. Hmm. And now we're getting ahead because we, we should talk about redemptive suffering hmm. versus you know uh, non-redemptive suffering. Uh, just a couple of verses I thought as I came into this um, from the New Testament, Paul in Romans 8, 18, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. It, it, Romans 8, 18, Paul explicitly states that suffering is the normative. That the church, our present sufferings, this is the normative. Christianity is a suffering salvation. Isaiah 53, right? We, we haven't got there yet. But the great suffering servant is the model for us all, and particularly as we go into Easter. So, uh, so what, what is um, what is what is the suffering that's being talked about there? I think it was because they were a rejection by Roman society. The persecution mm. of the church hadn't started yet when Paul writes. We're not into Nero and Diocletian. Uh, but the Oster Christianity was viewed as an outcast religion. And that sense of, and of course, the Romans would be, there would be cultural implications. Where Paul says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe he's making a reference to uh, the Roman loyalty rite of burning incense to Caesar when people would walk into the courthouse every year and sprinkle that little bit of incense and say Caesar is Lord. You know, Kairos is, and, and the Christians would walk up and say, no, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> and they would burn that little bit of incense and, and the whole the courtroom would go, you know. Um, and I think that's the kind of, in those early days, suffered. Uh, maybe not massive persecution as they would in the centuries to come, but there was social ostracization and there were social prices. So I think that's the suffering, the suffering of making the choice for Jesus. And that I think we can understand as 
a Christian suffered. Now, you know, you could argue that other religions do. If you're in a, in a country where Islam is forbidden, you could say I'm suffering for my faith as well. And again, these are universal principles, but they find a voice within Christianity. The reason I ask about the suffering there is because what I, what I was trying to get at earlier about uh, the suffering that comes from persecution, you know, that, and that's like what Jesus is talking about was, you know, you'll face persecution. And, uh, and I think, and I wonder, you know, that's, that's what I was wondering, is this what Paul is getting at now? You know, the other question would be, can we, can we use this verse to say all suffering that Christians experience can be wrapped up into this verse? No, no, because I'm trying to think of the verse now, um, or is it, I think it, I, you'll have to get the reference for me, where let no one suffer for, for you know, the wrong reasons, rather suffer for the right reasons. Oh, I got to think where it is. But uh, yeah, I, I think we as Christians can think we're suffering for the right reasons, that we're martyrs. But in reality, we are suffering because of our own pride, our own bad theology. Um, so not all sufferings that Christians experience is rooted in our following Jesus. Yeah. And, but I mean, and, that, and I think that's, hmm. I guess what I'm getting at is say, okay, last summer uh, when we were in the midst of COVID, we were all, we were still all kind of wondering what the heck is this going on? And uh, I preached a sermon on this verse, on this passage, Ooh. talking about suffering and saying, you know, we are in a sense suffering, but I didn't, I never said it was because of following Jesus that we're suffering. It's just, right. we're suffering and, right. uh, and, and the Holy Spirit suffers with us in that. And I just wonder, yeah. was I wrong in preaching a sermon like that? No. <laughs> I think you're correct in your thinking that we suffer along with others and our suffering may be related to, I can't have fellowship at church, but the people whose hockey game was canceled were experiencing a similar suffering. You know, I can't be with my friends. It is rare, I think, in our culture that we suffered for distinctly Christian reasons. Now, a Christian businessman may choose to behave ethically to do certain things and they may suffer financially. So I would argue, yes, or we choose not to behave in certain ways. So the high school student who doesn't go to the weekend barn bash suffers social isolation for their faith. So we have to be very careful where we're saying, I am suffering personal experiences because of my obedience to holiness versus I am suffering human experiences yeah because of that yeah, and i think you've drawn a clear distinction and we have to be aware of that yeah and, and i guess we're talking I, I guess i just wanted to make those those distinctions clear as we talk about i suppose psychological suffering that comes from whatever it may be i mean we can include suffering for the lord in that but i mean when crazy stuff happens you know three deaths in in a short period of time, all sorts of uh, uh, things like that, you know, uh, I guess that's kind of what we're getting at here as we, as we move forward. So 
I'll let you uh, keep going with your verses there. <laughs> no, that's good. Because everyone suffers loss of death or disease, right? And that's where we want to bring back to a pastoral perspective. And I think where our emphasis will come is, is our uh, how we engage with that. Suffering is universal. Yes, and there is distinct Christian suffering. Um, I guess a couple of more that... Uh, I'm trying to think that we could land on well. I, I've got a, th- a lexicon in front of me here that's probably not helping us intensely. Um, okay, Perry, maybe for you, you can explain 1 Peter 5.1. I urge you, elders among you, as your fellow elder and witnessing of the sufferings of Christ, and the one who is a fellow partaker of glory that is to be revealed, and further verses that Philippians 3.10, where we participate in his sufferings. Now we're moving into a rather distinct Christian encounter. So how do we then, I guess I'll turn the tables on you. How do we then as, as, as Christians, how do we participate in the sufferings of Christ? Well, I think uh, in a theological sense, it's um, loneliness is, uh, is part of it. Um, but I think from a New Testament perspective, it has to do with persecution, being ridiculed for christ and the loneliness that comes from from that i think that is the that's the frame of reference that the new testament authors are writing from i think uh but you know during during covid when people have been sick and they've been isolated i keep thinking that um like for church leaders in particular i think what a interesting um situation of solidarity solidarity with christ by being isolated from others being helpless uh because they can't heal themselves really like they just have to sit there and 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 uh just kind of passively wait for something to happen now of course that's not suffering for um the gospel and i don't think we would say that people get COVID because of God's judgment, you know, that's, uh, I would be very hesitant to go down that, that, uh, (laughs) that rabbit trail, even though I opened up the doors. (laughs) Is COVID God's curse on this on this globe is the question, right? Okay. uh, How would the Lord's table of the Eucharist fit into this discussion? participating in the sufferings of Christ is our participation in communion, whether we hold to a sacramental uh, view or a a Protestant more more inclined to a a remembrance view through communion. Are we, especially if we hold to a strongly sacramental position, are we participating in the sufferings of Christ every time we take the Lord's table or celebrate the Eucharist? Well, that's a good question. Mm. (laughs) What do you think? I like that idea. We can leave that I, for a while. Well, I don't. Th- I I have no answer for that really, and I and I try to think about the New Testament and you know what they what they like. What would be their frame of reference? And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did I mean, they like view like it as, that? as we're partaking in the uh, like we're we're partaking in communion with Christ. Uh, we are to experience the suffering of Christ. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean by experiencing the suffering of Christ at the Eucharist? That's a 
Very good question. We are having fellowship with him through this. You know, Paul talks about not eating meat offered to idols, having no fellowship with the table of, or doctrine of the table of demons. So there is something in taking communion that we are fellowshipping with Christ. And, mm-hmm. and I think across the spectrum, we could agree with that, that this is a fellowship. Are we in some way fellowshipping in uh, his suffering in doing that? And perhaps this is not the format to discuss the Lord's table. And that's a whole, I think you've done that already. Um, my little brains, there's, there's an element there that when Paul talks about fellowshipping or participating or partaking in the sufferings of Christ, that it may be an illusion. And, and, and I'm speculating purely because there's nothing in the language that is direct, but the language is reminiscent of the Lord's table. Well, I, I, I'll just say um, this is what I think is that, um, I mean, the Lord's Supper is a, it's a, a, a culmination of the Christian life. It's the center of the Christian life. It's a represent part. Well, it is. There's a rep. I mean, for me, I believe that there's a represent representative element to it, but it's more than just a symbol. Uh, it's a sacrament. There's, there's a spiritual reality there, but this, but the the memorial part of it is remembering christ's death remembering his sacrifice and and there's a reason why we call it the eucharist is giving our thanks and praise for what christ has done for us and then uh, particularly in the anglican liturgy where afterwards we say and now we present unto thee ourselves, our souls and bodies, that we may be a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable unto thee. And although we are unworthy, yet we beseech thee to accept this our bounden duty, not wearing our merits, but pardoning our offenses through Christ our Lord. You know, so uh, I think in that sense, not necessarily experiencing a psychological suffering, but participating. And I, and I wonder if that's what you're getting at here. Yes. Is our lives are to be in participation with the sufferings of Christ. Now, I honestly have no idea what that looks like besides facing uh, ridicule or or persecution or whatever. Uh, I, I just don't really know because it's because like I've said already, how do we differentiate between, uh, suffering and you know worldly suffering i'll put it that way (laughs) non-christian and christian suffering because Mm -hmm. you going through that experience of losing your family was there was that part of this you know going through the sufferings of christ i have a hard time saying yes but could you find solidarity with christ in that of course you could that's it's too different i mean we're it's maybe maybe a little bit of uh you know fine (laughs) straws there but uh i don't know i think you're on to something critical and that is when you ask the question is there a unique form of christian suffering i think our participation with christ in the cross where paul says i am Mm -hmm. crucified with christ it is no longer i who live uh, but christ lives in me our participation in the cross is the unique christian suffering you were alluding to or grasping at earlier on we look at other, you know, um, religious leaders or, 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 or models. Christianity calls us to the cross repeatedly. 
-hmm. That is our distinct theology. We are called to be the suffering people who follow the bleeding lamb. In Revelation, it says in the, the section where they're talking about the uh, the oh man, my brain. It's not good to be old, Perry. Um, I think it's Revelation fourteen. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes, and we're talking about following the Lamb into the places of suffering. So yes, I think there is, and as we move into this, I think there is a distinct Christian theology of suffering. That is, we participate, we share in the sufferings of Christ. We are willing to suffer for Christ. Uh, and the life of, of the Christian is death to self, no longer I who live, I am crucified. So the hallmark of our faith is lived through the cross. We live the suffering life of Christ. We are willing to pay any price, go anywhere, do anything, give up anything. Um, on Sunday, we said, you know, the conclusion of the sermon on Sunday was that um, freedom is not a right. It is a gift given. We as Christians don't have the right to be free. Freedom has been granted to us as a gift because of Christ's death. And that we in turn, as he gave up his freedom for us, we should be willing to give up our freedom for the sake of others, to redeem others. This is part of the sacrificial Christ life. And I think as evangelicals, we have focused on, again, you know, the, the victory not on the cross. The, the gospel is always, Paul says, you know, I preach Christ crucified to you know, the Jews, you know, Jews powerless and madness and to the Greeks foolishness. So the reality of the Christian life is the life of suffering. And that's where there is a distinct Christian experience where every morning I wake up and say, I am willing to give up self for the sake of others. I will let you go ahead of me in traffic. I will check my anger uh, at the post office. Um, if you ask me for something, I will give it. And when the government gives me an unjust law, the Romans said soldiers are allowed to carry, ask you to carry their goods for one mile. That's Roman law. And Jesus says two miles, right? Romans, we were, Christ commands us to follow the unjust laws of the state, which is madness. Um, and I go, I will follow the unjust laws of the state, even if I have to suffer, because that's what Jesus commanded me. Can you imagine? We have the right to get punched in the face, turn the other cheek. No, we don't. We have the, we have the responsibility to do that. Uh, so to follow Christ is to invite suffering into your life, which is a staggering, but it's madness. Because no one puts a rock in their shoe before they run. No one wakes up in the morning and says, this faith will take me to lonely widows, those in prison, to those who are hungry, to people with mental health issues, to suffering, but it will. And if we're going to follow Christ, we will always enter into unique suffering situations. And so I think if we're asking ourselves, is there a distinct encounter of suffering that Christians have? Yes, it is the daily suffering of the cross. Take up your cross and follow me into all these awful places. Not awful, hard places. Yeah. I think we've, I think that's, that is period. I think there is a distinct suffering of the Christian, the invitation to daily cross. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I like, I like how you're putting that of distinct Christian suffering is dying to self. Yes. And, uh, I mean, that is a different thing than, 
losing loved ones, you know, and I think that's where the distinction comes into play is. Mm-hmm. I like so, that. So then the, the next question is, um, I think the next question will be directed toward the, you know, the more, how do we want to put it? Natural? No, maybe not natural. Cause you could say supernatural suffering in that, <laughs> but maybe, you know, the, the general suffering that all people suffer that all people experience to one degree or another. This question is more direct toward that because for, I think you've already answered the question for Christian suffering. So my question is why is there suffering? And that, and that's directed more toward general suffering. We've already somewhat addressed this in the broadest sense, suffering because of the fall thorns, thistles, your desire shall be for your husband. Um, the, the, the conflict between people, uh, and then you throw in selfishness, uh, pride, you throw in uh, greed, you know, the, the, in Luke, Jesus addresses all the sins of the inner man, you know, greed and pride and longing to have status, and that produces suffering. So there is the, the generalist sense of death. All suffering is a form of death. All, so when death entered the world, suffering and death entered into it. So I think that's the broadest kind of suffering. Uh, and that's the universal answer is, on the other hand, Hebrews talks about discipline. Not all discipline is pleasant. And we're, we're preaching through Micah, and we see God making Israel suffer, whether at the hand of the Assyrians or the Babylonians. We get into some very, you know, God is the author and the agent, not the agent, he's the author. Babylon was the agent. He is distinctly the author of Israel's suffering. And by the time we get into Hebrews, discipline, which is unpleasant for a season, is also can cause suffering. So there is an element, yes, there is a universal, broad, sin-based suffering, but I think there's also redemptive suffering that God is doing something in our lives through suffering that cannot occur through blessing or through prosperity or flourishing, right? Like yourself, we learn lessons best when we're in pain. You know, pain is a wonderful teacher. Don't put your hand on the stove, right? Uh, Don't speed. That's an expensive ticket. So I think God is, man, I'm going to go out on a limb, Perry. I think God is the author of suffering. As I read scripture, as I see the stories of the old covenant, as I see the call to our suffering there, but that's redemptive suffering where we suffer that we may learn and grow through it. And that's a different kind of suffering than I've got a a flu or a cold or, or, or even the death of my family members, right? Now there can be something redemptive in all suffering. I want to be careful. We can learn and grow through all suffering. But there are times that that the father disciplines his children for the benefit of his children. It is not pleasant. Um, And it is, my very first motorcycle became my idol very quickly. And very quickly I crashed and totaled it. And very clearly in my little brain, you know, I'm not sure your charismatic perspective, but I heard the little voice say, thou shalt have no other gods beside me. Maybe it was just my Sunday school kicking in. 
but very clearly that, you know, now what I attribute that accident to the hand of God, I, I'm not that much of a Calvinist, but I would say that was redemptive suffering. I learned. Now I suffered, you know, surgeries and repairs and injuries, um, but I learned that I cannot. So, and again, that goes back to something I began at the very beginning, applying meaning to the event. I think we as Christians have the privilege, the joy of looking at the meaning of suffering differently. It is not random. It is not purposeless. Uh, All suffering has meaning. Did I answer the question or did I go somewhere else? Oh, I think that was excellent. Uh, (laughs) Now, I am hesitant about, I I guess you kind of drew the, distinction about god causes redemptive suffering yeah because there is general suffering that can be redeemed of course and i think that that's going to play into the next question um but you know i i I just think about um you know people where you see say in haiti or japan where horrible earthquakes happen like the the country is you know is devastated haiti is still cleaning up from their, that earthquake that happened like 10 years ago, mm-hmm. which is hard to believe, actually. Um, and, uh, you know, why? it's so easy to say, why did that happen? And, uh, I mean, that's just kind of the, the, I guess there's kind of that natural element to the world because of the fall. And uh, can things happen for good in those situations? Of course. And we're going to, I want to get go down that, that uh, that 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 hallway soon enough, and even you you mentioned it briefly, and I and I want to pick it up a little bit. Is um, I think you said like greedy people, you know, uh, our our society is uh, can be oppressive. However, however far you want to take that, mm-hmm. um, there is there is an element of suppression and uh, and oppression, I suppose like say for the first nations people who are in a, in a state of suffering. Well, why did that happen? (laughs) Because sinful human beings took matters into their own hands and thought that they were God. Uh, And that caused an immense amount of suffering. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I don't think, I don't think God was trying to punish anybody or, you know, he wasn't controlling the situation. There was an element of, He's letting human beings take matters into their own hands. And, uh, and now we're facing the consequences of that. I don't think you can talk about suffering without discussing justice. Because what you're alluding to is, if you ask why is there suffering, the natural order, yes, the divine providence of God instructing us. But the third element is because of injustice. Injustice leads to suffering. We can go back to Micah with uneven scales and imbalanced and and Micah's issues on leadership. It's just been near to me lately. But if you go through the story of injustice, you will find suffering. And you have to define what justice is so that we understand it. But the minute we walk in injustice, which is the result of sin, uh, God is the God of justice. So where God reigns, justice will occur but because of injustice suffering. So you know, in, in regard to your, your allusion to historical uh, behaviors, it was unjust to treat that people that way. To have unclean water is unjust. 
to ha not have access to good care is unjust. And so when we see injustice uh, from power imbalances, or we see suffering. So I would argue that the third cause of suffering is injustice. And that's where we as Christians can really get on board. Uh, we should be championing justice. You know, Micah 8.4, this is what God requires of you. You know, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Justice is the first hallmark of those who do what God desires. So if we are going to eliminate suffering, we're ahead of ourselves here, um, we must champion uh, injustice wherever we see it, which is part of being a Christian. Because now I look for injustice. And when I see it, it hurts. And that causes me to suffer. When I see gross injustice occur, and we see it everywhere, I, I suffer their injustice, you know, I suffer in some small way, a participatory injustice. I, obviously, I'm not equating myself in any way to someone who's suffered those injustices. But I, we can empathize a little bit. You know, we can feel what other people feel, pathos. You know, we can be empathetic, which is the root of that word towards other. So if we talk about the roots of, of suffering, justice has to come into the conversation. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so I, I guess just to move on a little bit uh, to kind of transition into, you know, for people who are in the midst of suffering, and I guess I take that back to, you know, things that happen as a result of natu natural disaster, or people who've lost a loved one. I, I, I kind of want to keep it there. That's what I've been, that's what I've had in mind as I've been thinking about this episode, though this has all been good. Uh, but as we think about those sorts of people, as, you, as we think about ministering to people, uh, or just if we find ourselves in a situation like that, how do we respond yeah. uh, to something like that? And I know it's not a black and white answer, <laughs> but how do we find light in that darkness? How do we respond? What do we do? <laughs> you know, so... We, we begin with theological answer, which is our, is our root. And I'm just going to read it because of my memory. Um, this whole idea that God comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 2 Corinthians 1.4. I think comforting the afflicted begins with getting in touch with our own suffering. Um, I don't know the suffering of a drug addict or an alcoholic. But I understand the suffering of personal addiction. And so I have to ask myself, what has comforted me? Where have I found solace and relief so that I in turn then can take those tools, those experiences? Part of the, the redemptive aspect of suffering is that we then empathize at some level, however able we are to, uh, to with those who are suffering. So I think it begins with a, a deep personal encounter of suffering. Um, I think young pastors like yourself, if you have not pers personally experienced suffering, you need to go with someone who has. Um, one of my questions that I often think for young pastors is, have you ever held the hand of someone who's dying? You know, you need to do that once in your lifetime as the, as the mortal breath and spirit leaves that person's body to feel that hand go limp and to know that. Now, that may, experience may not be available to everyone. Uh, but you will understand. 
those personal encounters of grief loss. So I think if God is going to use you as a pastor, he will take you, you know, again, your Calvinist perspective, but um, he will take you through dark valleys so that you can comfort one another with the same comfort with which you have been comforted in your affliction. So from a pastoral perspective, and again, I've said this before, pastoral ministry is an invitation into suffering. Um, and we then, it begins with our own encounter of suffering. Uh, and we, so we can empathize with, with that feeling. I know what it feels like to be hurt. So that's the redemptive nature of suffering. So at a beginning from a pastoral perspective, be very in touch with your own encounters of suffering. Be aware, even as you're going through it, asking yourself, how am I coping with this? What does this feel like? What is this doing to me psychologically, physically? Um, after a, a severe loss, uh, this situation with the loss of an entire family, um, I woke up crying night after night for months after, not every night, but many nights woke up crying uh, in such grief, unimaginable grief. Um, and I remember talking to the family a year later and we stood on the street corner and we wept publicly on the street, just the, the, the mom and I. Uh, but that empathy of suffering. So you're going to pay the price, but it's, a, it's worth paying because you can then stand on the street corner and hold that person and weep with them. I don't think we should distance ourselves from our suffering and block it. All right. Let, that, that's that's a whole pastoral perspective. As I look at this question, I think there's about a half a dozen avenues, and we'll start with the worst of them. <laughs> the worst thing to do is denial. You know, the worst thing you can do is deny it. I'm not in pain. I'm fine. You're not. No one who's suffering is fine. But people will. They'll suppress it. Right? And we know what happens to suppression. It will come out at some later date. You'll be walking down the street and you'll start crying and you don't know why. Or you'll be angry at, at a friend, but you're not angry at the friend. You're angry at, because grief often turns into anger. So denial is the least effective tool. Now, there are times we need to suppress it. You know, um, In grief, you have to still do your job, right? Uh, so you have to say, okay, I'm going to set this aside for a moment. So that I can function in this place, you know, uh, <laughs> I've got a, a baby baptism or a baby dedication to do. I'm celebrating the joy of their lives, right? I don't need to be crying. <laughs> so I think it's not denial, it's separation. So I recognize that. The second avenue I think we often take is escape because the pain is too great. Uh, now that escape can be healthy. Uh, it can, you know, movies, books video games, sports, uh, night out with friends, your, your, your spouse. Um, there are healthy times of escape. I, I'm on a week of R&R this week. I'm escaping from my responsibilities and, and the cares of pastoral life. I love it. It's wonderful. I'm having a great time, you know. Um, so there, but there also, and you well know, there are negative and dangerous escape paths where we move into addictions. Um, and we have to be careful. And I'm not just talking about chemical addictions. We can play video games too much, watch movies too much. We can uh, indulge in whatever it is, our, our own personal escape method. So we have to be very cautious. Uh, but I, I think there are times that escaping is not a bad thing. You know, just escape for an hour. Go watch a movie, go for supper, 
you know, eat a eat an entire pizza, whatever you want to do, you know, whatever you're you're. So we need to be careful. Denial has a role in certain circumstances. Escape has a healthy role, but push too far, then we are constantly in denial of the reality of the pain. The only way to go through pain, I've only found two things, talking in tears. Um, and that comes from a friend of mine who's a funeral director. Uh, and he said, the only two ways through pain are talking in tears. And crying is a wonderful thing. You know, manhood, forget those lousy definitions. Um, Jesus wept. Isaiah wept. David wept. Men of God weep. And if we haven't wept over suffering, we have not encountered it. So, and uh, we'll get to talking in a minute. But that leads me to, I think, the, 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 the beginnings of moving into the healthy spectrum, and that is surrender. We surrender to the suffering. We say, we acknowledge it. I am in pain. This hurts. And we have to surrender to there. There are times I literally lay on the floor with arms outstretched and allow the pain to flow through me. And I will weep on the floor. And just that encounter, uh, so you, know, it, it, you become transparent or, or porous and allow the suffering to flow through you and say, I surrender to this moment. Uh, I hurt for you. I hurt for this. And just to unashamedly step into the pain. It is not pleasant. You know, no one in suffering looks good. We, our eyes and our ears, we get, you know, we don't look our best when we're suffering, right? We see that in the Old Testament. They shaved their heads, they wore sackcloth, they burned ash, they looked in pain, they fully, they wailed, they wept, they lamented. We see this throughout scripture. David the imprecatory Psalms, you know, God, if you could break their teeth, I'd be happy. You know, he, now God's not going to answer that prayer, but he pours it out. Um, one of the things we spoke about in our own church was uh, being allowed to be miserable and to grieve in, in expressive ways. Uh, but we don't do that as a culture. We don't like grief. We don't like expressions of pain. And yet we do them, you know, we, we have people who cut themselves. That, that's an, an ancient method of dealing with grief. Um, and so we see self-harm as, as an outgrowth of, of suffering. Um, so there are these manifestations of it. So I think we need to surrender to the pain. Just, I tell my, my folks, every good pastor should smell like smoke. You should always be walking towards the fire. You know, and you are going to smell like smoke when the day is done and you're going to go home and you're going to hurt emotionally. You're going to be physically exhausted. And I just step into it and say, this is what today is. I am just in pain. Don't try and make me happy. You know, don't just and you will journey. There is no ring road around the valley of shadows. Psalm 23. It is always the road through it. So step into your pain. That's surrender. Um, two more. Um, one is, and I think the key is community. The old line is joy shared is twice joy, sorrow shared is half sorrow. I think we need to be able to have people in our lives who we share our sorrows with. Um, I trust that you and your, your spouse are able to share your sorrows. When I'm dealing with grieving people, I tell them, tell me the story. Tell me what happened. Tell me about your mom. 
Tell me a good thing about her. Tell me something. Tell me how she died. Tell me what you saw when you walked in the room. Tell me the story over again. And then a few minutes later, we'll pause. And I'll say, tell me what it was like when you were just anything, right? But get them to share. And as they share that, the burden does decrease. To be honest, Perry, I don't know how it works because tears and words. I had a, a lady, and, and I've told her story publicly before. I won't mention her name. Uh, her spouse had left her. And she came into our home. And she wept and she wept and our dog sat on the chair beside her and put his paw on her shoulder and leaned his head on her shoulder. And she wept and she said, I got to get me one of these, right? Empathy from an animal. And we were, I can't recall how long we spoke for, but when we're done, she said, I feel better. And I thought to myself, how? We have done, nothing has changed from the moment you walked in my door the moment we left, but you now feel better because we processed her pain. And so I think we need trusted people, whether family, friends, counselors, pastoral people, to share our pain with. That's the purpose of funerals, to share our pain. We cry, we love them, and together we cry together. Uh, and we share that moment. And I I love I love funerals. That's very careful. I value what occurs at them because it is the sharing of pain. We comfort one another with the same comfort with which we have been comforted. We fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, but we also fellowship in the sufferings of each other. And that's where, as a church, as the body of Jesus, we need to not be afraid of grief. When my dad died, I went to church the next Sunday because I wanted to be around those people. I wanted to hear and see them again. And I didn't want to isolate myself from them, right? So I think community is absolutely critical to grief. Yes, you know, I, I have a playlist on my on my YouTube channel called What Can Miserable Christians Sing? You know, we need laments and dirges and songs in a minor key that express our loss. You know, I, I love joy. I, I, when we came here, I told our elders, my job is to take you to the island of joy. And they said, tell us about this place. But also we need private places where the individual is respected and cared for, lament and grieve. And I think that's the body that the greatest way, one of the most effective, and that's why prayer comes in. We pour out our sufferings before Christ. We read the Psalms. We lament. We read Job. You know, We read Lamentations. We read poets. Um, we listen to music that speaks of our loss. So. Yes, denial has a role, a minor role. Escape has a place. Um, surrender is crucial. And then sharing. I got one more if we have time. One more. And I think I've shared with this, you, this with you in our class. But, uh, and that is the role of beauty as consolation. We go back to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, in the garden, the trees were made beautiful before they were made fruitful. We go back into Revelation. Uh, the coming kingdom is beautiful. We go into the building of the temple. Um, it's beautiful. The psalmist speaks of the beauty of holiness. So the fundamental role of beauty is there. And there's an amazing video. I'll send you a link called Consolation Through Art. And it's the role of beauty in the midst of our suffering. Because suffering is ugly. We look ugly. Loss is ugly. Cancer is ugly. Death is ugly. Poverty is not pretty. Um, 
grief, all these things that, that are expressions or reflections of suffering are never beautiful. And so our soul finds itself in an ugly place. And what we need to do is we need to find beauty. Um, I've had a series over years of psychological breakdowns, um, longer story for another day. But the most effective thing in that suffering was beauty. And for me, it was sitting watching the sunrise where we live. We live out in the country. Um, talking to my wife, who is beautiful, to, to look into her eyes, to see the beauty of our relationship. Um, I love dogs, right? Uh, just to sit and hold a, a dog. Um, I had done a, a series, it was a traumatic week, and I, I can't recall the details. But I was talking to a mom, and she said, what you need to do is hold a baby. Sure. She gave and the beauty of that little one in that moment just reminded me of life and good, and they smell good uh, about that moment. Um, and so I think one of the things I tell people who are suffering, I ask them the question, when was the last time you did something beautiful? And I almost guarantee they won't remember. I say, well, what's beautiful to you? Walking my dogs, uh, painting, watching a hockey game. I, I love, you know, for whatever they are, you'll find beauty. I said, you need to go and do something beautiful tonight. And then I'll say, and I want you to phone me tomorrow and tell me what you did. And Perry, without hesitation, every time they'll call back and say, I did X, Y, Z, or B, and I felt better. I said, why? And they don't know. But beauty is God's release for ugly. And so when people are suffering, we need to help them from a pastoral perspective, find or give them some. That's why we, you know, we give flowers at funerals. You know why? Because they're beautiful. A moment of living beauty in an often ugly situation. And so I give people beauty, whether it's art. I used to give fireworks, which were fun. Um, but give them some, you know, a book of poetry, something that's beautiful. Um, I have a, a painting that I have from a, a lady who committed suicide. It is the darkest piece of art I own. And I'm reminded that when the soul is ugly, art becomes ugly. Not ugly, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a striking painting, but it's very dark. Um, and so we need to surround ourselves with beauty, uh, whether it's art in your home, good music. When I'm blue, Don Williams, all day long, man. Just give me an hour of Don Williams and I'm a happy camper. Uh, beautiful music, beautiful imagery. So. Let, let me sum up. I think from a pastoral perspective, we encounter our own suffering. We are acquainted with grief. This is the language of Jesus. A man of sorrows, we must be acquaint, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We read Charles Spurgeon's life, a man of deep grief. Then we must understand where the role of denial and escape is. Surrender to our grief. Don't be afraid to cry, to walk into the darkness. Um, find community that you can share with, and then Fill small moments with beauty every day. That would be my pastoral counsel. So as we think about, you know, Good Fridays coming up, we think about Romans 8 with the suffering, you know, the Holy Spirit suffers with us. Mm. How can we, well, first of all, what does Christ's suffering mean for us in our mm. present suffering? And I bring that up because it does. He, 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 you know, we somehow, you know, Jesus' suffering means something for us. In the, in the Book of Common Prayer, it talks about God entered, Jesus enters into our suffering. You mm -hmm. know, God is not 
surprised when suffering happens. He's not controlled by suffering like we are. He's not controlled by emotions like we are. He can, he's the one who controls what can, you know, what, what he allows himself to be controlled by whatever, you know, however you want to talk about that theologically, but you know, God has entered into our suffering. And I like, I I don't know if you've ever heard of the book. I just read a book last year. It's huge, almost a thousand pages. It took me quite a while to read it. Um, called the crucifixion by Fleming Rutledge. And, uh, she really, she really talks about the, uh, the role that the crucifixion plays in a lot of, you know, in genocide and in school shootings and things like that. And how Christ's suffering uh, is kind of a, I, it, it's almost so, it's so deep. It's hard to understand almost how, how Christ's suffering really, I'll, I'll say applies mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, to those kind of things, but even in our personal suffering, Do you, do you want to re- reply to any of that? Yeah. I think there are two elements that we, we, we can focus on. One is the redemptive nature of that suffering, that by his stripes we are healed. The suffering servant of Isaiah 53, that without suffering, salvation is impossible. Um, so we acknowledge that our faith is a suffering faith, that our faith is a crucified faith, that we glory in the cross, not in the brutality of the cross, but in the blessing of the cross. So I I think we acknowledge that there is the redemptive aspect of suffering, that that suffering can lead to redemption. And so we can say in our own lives, suffering has a redemptive quality. It is the discipline of God. It purges sin. um, But my mind right away went to, to Hebrews that we have a high priest who has been tempted in all ways. We are yet without sin, who is sympathetic. And that Christ sympathizes with us in the truest sense of the word sympathizes with us in our suffering. When I come and pour out my suffering towards him, it, it's like trying to explain poverty to a wealthy person who's never known it, right? How can you understand someone's poverty? Um, if you've never struggled with an issue internally, how can you sympathize or counsel or comfort someone who is in that situation? You know, I have never farmed, but I work with farmers. Um, and it is challenging for me to, to understand you know, what they go through, whatever the experience. Um, and I think it makes, let us come boldly before the throne of grace so that we may receive help in our time of struggle. Well, why can we receive help? Because he too has struggled. And when the spirit comforts us, the spirit grieves. He too suffers. He has you know, grieved. Uh, been lied to, been betrayed, all these experiences. And so when we pray, we have the assurance that the one we're talking to uh, has gone through the journey. And in part, that's why, you know, again, my pastoral nature, people need to know that we've suffered. So they go, okay, I can relate to him. Maybe he hasn't gone through everything, but Perry knows a thing or two about suffering. And so when we do comforting, when we do pastoral care, we're not speaking from a vacuum. It, 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 it creates a bond. Um, that's what a comrade is. A comrade is someone who shares a common bond. So Christ is our comrade. And I have to be careful. We're not talking about, you know, Stalinist comrade. Um, he has been through the battle and understands that there's a camaraderie of suffering. So theologically, it is the root of our faith. 
we are the people of suffering, but experientially, our prayers become vital. We uh, and those who are hurting should feel welcome in the church because we are the suffering saints. This is a place where you don't have to have it all together. You can come in your grief and your mess and your whatever expression um, and feel loved here and sympathized with. If, if, if Christ is the, the one who has suffered, all that suffer can come to him. Yeah. It is an invitation to the lonely, the oppressed, the broken, those who have suffered injustice, the hurt. I mean, he grieved when Lazarus died. He wept because he loved him. You know, Paul speaks of his emotion. You know, like a nursing mother, I have loved you. It, that sympathetic emotion. So, yeah, our faith is rooted in it. It gives us cause for comfort and knowing full well that he hears us and knows us and is an invitation. Christianity throws its arms open to the suffering. Yeah, it's a great faith. <laughs> uh, yeah, that I think that, as I alluded to at the beginning, that really, I think that element there really gives a lot of good foundation of the gospel message. You know, the gospel is about forgiveness of sins, but there's so much more that the God who we worship is not separated from our suffering. He's not out there waiting for us to fail. Uh, though mm-hmm. it does seem like that sometimes, but it, it's not true. <laughs> uh, he is there, you know, he, he sees what is going on in our yeah. suffering and uh, wants to comfort us in that. So I think that is just a fantastic message that we have for the world. We gain credibility in transparency when we are honest about our sufferings. I mean, we have a cross on our buildings yeah. <laughs> of all things, right? We are, this is what we're about. We're about mm-hmm. suffering and loss and redemption. It's not enough to leave it at, at the cross. We must have Resurrection Sunday. You know, we must go through Monday, Thursday and, and recognize betrayal at communion. Mm. And then we go to, you know, to, to Holy Friday and we recognize the death on the cross, but we must celebrate. So Christianity is an embrace of suffering, but we can't leave it there because that leaves us in the darkness, right? We, we are the people who step into Resurrection Sunday and honor that, Ever, that death has been redeemed, you know, death, the final enemy, death is not the sweet embrace, you know, mm-hmm. it is the final enemy that has been defeated. And we stand up with tears in our eyes on Sunday morning at resurrection Sunday saying, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And we, and, and so we go through the suffering only to find the hope of the resurrection. And that's what we offer. We say, come unto me, all you who are the weary, and I will give you rest and you will find hope. And we cannot end any gospel message on suffering without talking about hope at the end. Mm-hmm. Because that's what res- the resurrection promises us. You know, as much as we are people of the cross, we are people of the tomb and of Mount Olives. And we look up and wonder. And, and never forget in Matthew 28, uh, I, I better look it up because if I misquote it, your, your hearers will say he didn't say that right. <laughs> Matthew 28, 16, but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus was designated and they saw him. 
They worshipped him, but some of them were doubtful. Even in the midst of worship, doubt exists. Hmm. Suffering. They, they, were, they couldn't make sense of hide nor hair of the event. And we often forget that verse. That even in the midst of the worship of the resurrected Christ, some of the disciples were doubtful. What they doubted, we don't know. Well, and we, it's only speculation that would fill in those gaps. Um, but even in the midst of the glory and worship, there is the suffering of doubt. We're a paradox. We're beyond paradox. You know, but the resurrection occurs, even if you doubt. The resurrection still happens. So, right. Any more questions? Are we still, how we bounce? I think that's a good way to end it with resurrection. Because I don't know how long this has been, but it's been good. <laughs> Might have to cut it up into two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Just, uh, it's always got to be good news, right? We can preach destruction and judgment. But unless at some point during your sermon you say, now the good news is you're not preaching the gospel. Now the good news may be you're a sinner. You know that, That's good news to acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when my doctor said, you know, we need to fix your eye, that was good news because I could now be healed. So acknowledgement of sin and guilt and, and failure is good news. But there should always be good news. Now, I mean, the good news is that healing is possible. So, anyhow. Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, All right. thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking about suffering. <laughs> I don't think I knew what I was getting myself into, but uh, it was good. It was a lot of, it was, I mean, there's so many things that I would love to keep going down, but uh, keep talking about, but. Well, we may have to that. save it for part two and I'll, I'll fix my headphones here and we'll, uh, we'll do <laughs> suffering part two. <laughs> All right. All right, Barry. I'm Perry Siddons. This is the Ponder Chat. Thank you for tuning in. Until next time, keep pondering. <laughs>